if you were called upon to make a list of your favorite things today, what would go on that list, I wonder? Would it indeed be raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens? Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens? Brown paper packages tied up with string? These are a few of my... That's right. All right. Good. You know it. I'm in the right town. What would go on your list? Would it be that sort of thing, or would you immediately put the names of people you love? Or would you think about those activities and those events that are life-giving for you or heartwarming for you? Think about that. If you were pressed to formulate a list of your favorite things, what would go on it today? And I ask that question because through the voice of the prophet Isaiah in this morning's Old Testament scripture, God offers what seems like a list of some of God's favorite things. An itemization of divine priorities that God has anointed the prophet Isaiah to announce. Things like bringing good news to the poor and the oppressed. Embracing the brokenhearted. Providing liberty to those who are held captive. Release to those who are in prison. Offering comfort to those who are mourning. Making known the love and the favor of God to people who do not know about that love. Who do not know about that divine favor. These, according to the prophet Isaiah are a few of God's favorite things. And what is the single word that encompasses these divine priorities? What is the single word that might describe a few of God's favorite things? I would argue that it's precisely the word that the prophet Isaiah uses in the eighth verse of that 61st chapter of Isaiah. And that word is justice. Justice. I, the Lord, love justice are the words that we find in that eighth verse. I, the Lord, love justice, which is to say that the creator of heaven and earth does not simply value justice, does not simply champion justice. The creator of heaven and earth loves justice, and that word is intentional. The prophet could have used any word, but he chose love, I think, because it somehow captures that transformational intimacy between the divine heart and the very rhythms of justice. In fact, in another portion of scripture through another prophet, God implies that God actually loves justice more than God loves worship. Think about that. Centuries ago to a group of hypocritical worshipers who were offering beautiful songs of praise to God but then leaving the temple in order to mistreat the vulnerable. To that congregation, God says through the prophet Amos, I despise your religious festivals. And I take no delight whatsoever in your acts of worship, but let justice roll down like water. Let righteousness be like an ever-flowing stream. See, the church throughout its history has often behaved as though worship and doctrine were the matters that were closest to God's heart. 
Yet, as important as worship and doctrine are in the life of faith, justice is one of God's favorite things. In fact, as the prophet Isaiah tells us this morning, our God loves justice. The Hebrew word for justice in this morning's scripture is mishpat. And when mishpat appears in scripture, very rarely does it refer to retributive justice, a justice of vengeance and punishment. Rather, when this word is used, it more frequently communicates restorative justice, healing justice, a justice that makes right what has woefully become distorted or harmful. That's the justice of God, a justice that makes right. To think about it another way, when we talk about the sort of justice that Isaiah is describing here, the justice that God loves, we're speaking of the work of helping the world to become more like the world that God created it to be. And what is that world like? Well, I think the prophet Isaiah tells us it's a world in which the poor and the oppressed find some good news. It's a world in which the brokenhearted find a loving and consistent embrace. It's a world in which the grieving find comfort. It's the world in which people who do not know love are made aware of the love and the favor of the one who created them. That's God's justice, not punishment, but restoration, healing, making things right that are now distorted. Fast forward a few hundred years. One day, Jesus walks into his synagogue in his hometown and picks up the scroll of scripture that is there. And in the presence of the people gathered, Jesus proceeds to read the words from Isaiah that you heard moments ago. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Jesus reads that day in words that should be familiar to you by now. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to do what? Well, to bring good news to the poor and to set at liberty those who are held captive and oppressed and to declare that this year is the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus, we're told, rolls up the scroll, sets it down, and proceeds to say something absolutely absurd. He says to the people today, this scripture from Isaiah has been fulfilled in your hearing. Which is to say that the writer of the gospel is of the opinion that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and the incarnation of God's restorative justice. If that is true, friends, and I stand here believing that it is, if it is true that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in the incarnation of God's restorative justice, then maybe waiting actively for this Messiah means participating dynamically in the justice that God loves, thereby helping the world to become a little bit more like the world that God created it to be. March 31st, 1968, just four days before he was assassinated, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered a speech at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. At that speech, while calling for the end to the Vietnam War and the eradication of racial injustice and poverty, Dr. King 
spoke these words. May God grant that we will become a David of truth set against the Goliath of injustice. May God grant that we will become a David of truth set against the Goliath of injustice. And later on in that same speech, Martin Luther King beautifully and powerfully recontextualizes that great quote from theologian Theodore Parker. We shall overcome, Dr. King proclaimed in that speech. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. See, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. believed as Isaiah believed and ultimately as Jesus believed that in the complexity of this world, it is critical for us to recognize that there is a long arc of history, but that justice remains the moral and divine essence of our existence so that that long arc of history ultimately bends toward it. It bends toward justice. Understand this, however, and I suspect that you already do. Sometimes justice becomes complicated and difficult to discern, especially in a world in which circumstances are multi-layered and often convoluted. Case in point, I have had enough conversations with religious leaders here in New York City over the last few months to understand that there is not a shared vision of exactly what justice looks like in Israel and Palestine at present. I suspect you've had a few of those conversations as well. And of course it's complicated. Think about it. What does justice look like to an Israeli survivor of that savage attack on Israel on October 7th that changed so many things? Likewise, what might justice look like to those innocent persons in Gaza who have lost loved ones to Israel's relentless militaristic response? Justice can be complicated, can't it? I remember offering a speech one time on the floor of some United Methodist Conference addressing the impact of institutional racism on the life of the church. And my motivation in making that speech, I think, and I say I think because sometimes that's the best we can say about our own motives. I think this is why I was doing it, but I think I was pursuing what I believed to be justice in that moment. I think I was attempting to speak to that. And it was shortly after I made that speech that I received an email from an African-American colleague and friend telling me that while he greatly appreciated uh, the spirit of what I said, he believed that my wording reflected the blind spots of my privilege in a way that made him feel tokenized as a black man. See, what I had intended to be the pursuit of justice created a situation that my friend experienced as the injustice of tokenization. My point, friends, is that justice sometimes becomes complicated and sometimes we get it wrong, especially when the circumstances are multi-layered and convoluted. And as a result, there is this perpetual temptation, isn't there? 
to walk away from matters of justice altogether, to do and say nothing in the face of some of the world's most profound distortions, settling for the false peace of silence or indifference. And that's why I keep coming back to these words from Isaiah that resonate all these centuries later. I, the Lord, love justice. And if that is true, if, if God loves justice enough to incarnate it in Jesus, then when justice becomes complicated, and sometimes it will, maybe our most faithful response is not to become cynical about all the justice that we do not understand, but instead to double down on the justice that we do understand, offering ministry and relationship and kindness to the poor and the oppressed and those held captive and the grieving and those who do not know love. Thereby incarnating a portion of God's justice, I guess, through the love of Jesus in our particular corner of the world. Think with me for just a moment about what that kind of justice might look like for you in the remaining portion of Advent and into the new year. Perhaps, for example, justice for you might simply mean creating space for a few extra conversations with colleagues at work whom you know to be struggling with significant hardship either in the workplace or at home. And maybe in doing so, you begin to deconstruct or correct the distortion of loneliness and isolation. That's a form of justice, isn't it? Or perhaps justice for you simply means becoming a verbal advocate for somebody who is frequently disparaged behind her back, thereby correcting the distortion of dehumanizing gossip. Or maybe justice for you simply means involving yourself in some tangible ministry with the poor and the hungry, thereby deconstructing the distortion of socioeconomic hierarchy and compartmentalization. Or perhaps justice for you simply means recommitting yourself to doing no harm in the words that you speak and write thereby deconstructing the distortion of chronic and toxic negativity. See, sometimes when justice becomes complicated, perhaps our most faithful response is not to become cynical about all the justice that we do not understand, but instead to commit ourselves afresh to the work of justice that we do understand. My dad always used to say that about scripture. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that scare me. It's the parts that I do understand that scare me. So the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I joined many volunteers from Christ Church at our sharing table on Sunday afternoon as we offered, I guess, what I could describe as an extra bountiful Thanksgiving meal to about 170 homeless and hungry persons. And by the way, you hear me make reference to sharing table a lot, and there's a reason for that. I've come to believe over this last year that sharing table represents one of our most significant, consistent, hands-on justice ministries in the life of the church. 
so I'm compelled to talk about it. I think it matters that much. Hope you never get tired of hearing me talk about it. It's part of who we are. It's part of our heart. But anyway, I joined together, Tara and I did, with these volunteers on Sunday afternoon in serving this meal. And after we were finished with the serving, I was making my way through the tables where people were sitting, and somebody stopped me. I'd never met him before. Excuse me, he said, you're the preacher here, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. What, what can I do for you? He said, I wonder, would you mind telling your people something for me? And I assume by my people, he meant you folks. So I said, sure, what would you like me to share? He said, I want you to tell your people. And he said, this is very important. I want you to tell your people that what your church does on Sunday afternoons is not just about offering charity to poor people. Because he said, if it were just that, we would objectify poor people and we don't need that. Trust me, we get enough of that wherever we go. And I said, well, that's fair enough. Well, can you say more about that? If it's not just giving charity to poor people on Sunday afternoon, can you tell me what it is? And as soon as I said that, he had a look on his face as though I had asked him the best question they had ever been asked. He had an answer already. He said, I'll tell you exactly what it is. And I'm not fabricating anything when I say to you that this was his response. It's justice, he said. What your church does on Sunday afternoon, this isn't about charity, it's justice. And I said to him, can you say more about that? What do you mean that it's justice? He said, well, think about it. You're putting food before hungry people in a city where too many souls don't care about the fact that so many people are starving to death. That ain't charity, he said. That's justice. So as we continue with this Advent journey, friends, I hope and pray that you will not allow this concept of justice to be some ethereal territory that you visit intellectually and muse about. I pray that it will become something more practical than that for you. I'm inviting you to hurry up and wait this Advent, and today I'm adding some specificity to that. I'm inviting you to wait with a fresh commitment to God's restorative justice. And why wouldn't we make that commitment? Because we're told very specifically in Isaiah that God loves that kind of justice. And maybe when justice becomes complicated, as it frequently will, we respond most faithfully, not with cynicism, but by doubling down on the justice that we absolutely do understand, offering ministry and relationship to those who are marginalized and hurting and suffering, thereby incarnating a portion of God's restorative justice through the love of Jesus Christ, in whose name we gather together on this third Sunday of Advent, and in whose name I gratefully preach. Amen.